Uh, let's talk about speaking of letters, ETFs. What are those and what's their birthday today? Well, they turned 30, which just made me feel old. It's like having a child. Um, <laughs> the exchange-traded funds were something that were introduced um, 30 years ago. A guy from Morgan Stanley was looking to invent a new product, and they were um, kind of like an index mutual fund, which was also introduced by John Bogle around, around that time, a little bit o- older, I think. Uh, But the whole concept was, how do you make it easier and cheaper for people to trade and have a diversified portfolio? And what an exchange-traded fund is, it mirrors um, an index, right? So we had the first one that came out was SPDR, S-P-D-R, and that uh, mirrored what was going on with uh, the Dow. And there are some differences, though, with a regular kind of a fund. Like when you have a mutual fund, John, you can only trade it once a day with the end price at the end of the day. With an exchange traded fund, though, you can trade it during the day, just like a stock. You can buy and sell and buy and sell and buy and sell. And it sort of um, takes some of the risk out, doesn't it? Well, buying an individual equity. It does because you're automatically diversified, right? So if you buy um, an index, uh, exchange-traded fund that mirrors NASDAQ, it's everybody on NASDAQ. All the companies on NASDAQ are are represented in this exchange-traded fund. So you buy one share, but it's really a, you know, a whole lot of companies that are, are pieced together. Like the S&P 500, you're actually buying 500 companies. But that would, I'm sorry, maybe I don't understand them as well as I thought. I thought exchange-traded funds, though, would also, um, could be sector-specific. Can't you get an ETF in energy or finance or something like that? You can now. When they started, you only had basically one to choose from. <laughs> they, and it would be on, an index fund, essentially. That's right. Uh, but it, And now they are sector-oriented, um, so you can certainly buy an ETF that's tech. You can buy an ETF in gold, for example. If you don't want to buy an individual gold right. stock and you don't want right. to buy an ingot, you can actually buy an ETF that's focused on uh, gold. And so they get pretty... They're, they're out there, but you know, just to kind of go over this again, you can trade them during the day. You have no minimum purchase requirement. They have annual fees that are lower than most comparable mutual funds, and they're more tax efficient than a mutual fund. So there's a lot of reasons that people like them. Different investment companies, Fidelity offers their own ETFs, Morgan Stanley does. Um, you know, So you can buy them if you've got all of your investments at one place like Fidelity. You can go in and take a look at Fidelity's ETFs or you can buy them outside of your uh, financial company as well. That's Elise Glink. She's got a free weekly newsletter for you, too, Love, Money, and Real Estate. And, of course, you can hear her on WGN Radio with Tom Fortino Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. for an hour. They talk about the week and wealth and give you good advice. Um, What are people saying about the recession right now? What are you saying about the recession? Well, it's interesting. I think people's hysteria that we, I'm going to say hysteria because economists were very scary in what they were saying right at the end of the year, John, people were talking about how it was going to be very severe and there would be big layoffs and things like that. And we are seeing layoffs every day. And Spotify today talked about cutting 6%. Uh, The other day, Google announced it was going to cut 12%. Amazon, I think, cut 10%. Maybe that was a second round. So we are seeing uh, tech layoffs, but we seem to be seeing it at a higher level income than sort of typical 
uh, layoffs. When we normally see layoffs, it's the bottom half of the workforce that gets hit the worst. And this time that doesn't seem to be the case. And so while 61% of economists are saying that there's a, a very strong chance of recession, um, it, it's not, it's being dib, dubbed this uh, rich session. So people who are making six figures and above seem to be getting a little bit hurt, but I, I don't know, John, there's a lot of jobs available. A lot of people are looking and uh, the unemployment rate remains really low. Unemployment remains low. Yeah, right. Um, 92% of millennials say inflation is impacting their home buying plans. That's a headline you sent us. What's the story here? Well, you know, it's interesting because we watched um, mortgage interest rates jump from about 3% a year ago to as high as seven and a half, almost 8% uh, for a while in the middle of the year. And it's come down a bit to around a little under 6% if you've got a great credit score, a little over 6.5% if not so much. But you know, that put uh, home buying way out of reach for people because not only did mortgage interest rates go up, and we've talked about this extensively, home prices went up as well. And so half of millennials, this is a new lending tree survey, half of millennials, about 47%, say that high interest rates are causing a huge problem for them, and they're not really able to buy a home. And 81% wish they had bought a home before interest rates increased. And they're very stressed out. Three quarters are very stressed out about the whole idea of buying a home. And a majority say they've been reduced to tears during the, during the home search process. Well, I got news for you. When you finally do get that house, it's still stressful. But <laughs> right. I, I wonder, though, if this, if nothing else, speaks to the... I don't mean to make light of people's stress. I Listen, home ownership is is a process, and it is stressful. Um, but I wonder if this speaks to the pent-up demand. I wonder if uh, we're going to have a boom in the next... Uh, we got to get the homes built, but rates will come down. People need more... We need more properties. Uh, I, I wonder how somebody would bet on that, hedge on that, um, get ready for that. Well, this goes back to your question about what kind of a recession we're going to have. So the last recession, which was only about 12 or 13 years ago... You know, what we saw was it was driven by the subprime mortgage market. And by that, I mean people who had less than perfect credit were basically going out and able to name whatever amount they wanted on these loans. And nobody was checking their or verifying their income, whether they have a job, any of their assets. It was called a stated income loan. And they basically just went and bought, you know, on a $50,000 a year job, they bought a $500,000 house. Not sustainable. And so a lot of people lost their homes during the Great Recession, and there was a huge number of homes just out there waiting to be bought. Well, that's not the case this time. And so what we've seen is that this steady increase in prices over the last two, three, four, five years, uh, coupled with the rising interest rates, has really impacted just so many people who are were planning to buy a home and who wanted to buy a place to live. Couple that with there just isn't enough rental properties out there either. You know, the total population of the U.S. keeps increasing, but we have not kept pace over the last 12 to 15 years with the number of homes, whether they're rental, apartment, condo, townhome. How did that happen? I keep hearing that. Like, I, I understand there's a variety of factors at play here, but how did we suddenly not have enough places for people to live? That would... 
it would be as almost as if to say we don't have enough roads for cars, or maybe we don't. But you know, I mean, <laughs> have you seen the traffic? I, I thank you. A bad example. It would just seem to me to be kind of preposterous that suddenly we don't have enough houses. How does that happen? Well, what happened after the last recession, just to kind of look backwards for a moment, is a lot of the mom and pop home builders, home builders that may build 10 to 20 homes a year, as opposed to two to 300 a year, a lot of those went out of business. They lost the land they'd been holding. They couldn't afford to keep it. They couldn't build the homes, couldn't sell the homes they had built. And so they went out of business. We also saw really big companies like Pulte and some others merge to stay in business 10, 12 years ago. And since then, everybody's become very, very cautious about what they build. And I think what you know, mortals like us don't appreciate about home builders is that it's like a 10-year process, John. You've got to get the land, then you've got to come up with a design, you've got to get the local communities to approve it and give you permits, then you've got to, you know, hire all the people, put a team together and start actually building and then you have to sell in order to get your financing in place. A lot of those pieces just haven't really come together up until the last couple of years. And then all of a sudden, with the pandemic, everybody wanted to move. But in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, people still weren't really moving and we weren't really selling homes. And we haven't built the amount of new homes that we've Mm -hmm, needed mm -hmm. for almost 10 years. And with higher interest rates, I assume this is true, Elise, the builders have holding costs too. They've got to borrow money. And if it's at a higher rate... They'd better help. They can sell that home someday. Otherwise, I don't know if they could would be upside down on the property, but it's just much more expensive for them to be in that business right now, isn't it? It's absolutely true. So they're being very cautious about what they build, how many of them they build, where they build. And so all of that just takes time. And of course, once you had the shortage of materials, so during the pandemic, right, right. couldn't get windows, couldn't get doors, couldn't get garage openers, couldn't get siding, and then you couldn't get the people, once you had the materials, to actually do the building. Yeah. It's all been a real problem, and that's why we're not seeing enough property now. Remember, you couldn't get lumber. That was yeah. adding a high percentage of the cost to new homes. It's 1227. Well, uh, that's a look at real estate. She'll talk more wealth with Tom Fortino Sunday morning at 7. You can find her at thinkglink.com and at glink.substack.com. Okay, Elise, we'll visit again. Thanks for your time. Delightful, John. Thank you. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch. Thanks for dialing in to WGN Radio. Jim Dalkey joins us frequently on Mondays. There he is again from Chicago Inno. How are you today? Hey, John, doing well. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the things you talk a little bit about. Founders selling startups in Chicago. Are a lot of them doing it? Are they making money? Who's doing what there? Yeah, you know, I wrote um, a piece for American NO uh, really detailing um, some serial entrepreneurs people need to have their eye on in 2023. And so serial founders, of course, are, are folks who have been there and done that. They've, they've built a startup sold it, and now we're on to their next thing. Um, and so we really tried to highlight 16 folks from across the country. We've got uh, one in Chicago. His name is Andy Dunn. He founded Bonobos, um, the, the men's fashion clothing company. That wasn't a Chicago-based company, but he is based in Chicago. 
was located here. And but it was of course sold to Walmart for three hundred million dollars. And now he's um you know it had an interesting path to entrepreneurship. He actually just came out with a book recently called Burn Rate, where um he describes how he has battled bipolar disorder, really struggled with the mental illness, and um, the book is really kind of his path to feeling better and to health, and a little bit about his journey and uh, his new startup um, is a little bit on the mental health track as well. It's called Pumpkin Pie. It, it's a sort of tender for friendships type app that helps people combat loneliness and, and you know sort of get offline and meet people in real life. And so that app is currently in beta. And so we've got a, a list of, of folks. You can read the story at chicagono.com. And what I really like about these serial entrepreneurs that we highlighted is, you know, we try to focus on some cities that are not um, the big coastal hubs, so not Silicon Valley, not New York. And really kind of focus on the heartland in some areas. And entrepreneurs like uh, Matt Scantland in Columbus, Ohio, he uh, he launched Cover My Meds, which sold for $1.4 billion back in 2017. He's uh, emerged with a new company last year um, called And Health, um, which is a tech platform to help reverse chronic disease by coaching behavior changes. And that company just raised over $50 million last year. So what I really like about covering serial entrepreneurs is they're really important for these kind of emerging startup ecosystems, because when somebody uh, wins big, makes it big, sells a startup for a lot of money, they typically reinvest that money into a new business, into the local economy, and it kind of helps continue that flywheel and is a big um, move for that local startup scene. So you can check out the full list at chicagoeno.com. Some really innovative ideas here. Pumpkin pie friendships, uh, kind of Tinder for friendship app. That's intriguing. Um, you also have a, appearing in your piece, um, the guy that created the sky cam. Can you talk just briefly about that? Yeah, this is a Philadelphia inventor. His name is Garrett Brown. Uh, he created um, or helped create the Steadicam in filmmaking, which has been kind of a staple in filmmaking from everywhere from Rocky to The Shining. And um, he also built the Skycam, which is similar uh, to the Steadicam, but really for football stadiums. So, I mean, if you've ever watched a Monday Night Football game, you've seen um, the sky came and used suspended over cables above the NFL stadium. Um, and so, you know, he's a really prolific inventor, and his uh, latest invention is called the Zine, uh, Z-E-E-N, which is an alternative to a wheelchair and a walker uh, that kind of falls somewhere in between the two. It sort of manually boosts somebody from a sitting position to a standing one without um, a battery or a motor and um, really – provides that support for a person who really kind of rather be a little bit more mobile and on their feet than sort of in a, in a wheelchair all the time. So he's certainly an inventor to watch and um, obviously has created a lot of significant inventions. And now it's kind of on to his next thing with the Z. So yeah, really fascinating product there from a, a serial inventor in Philadelphia. But that's uh, not in the digital space. That's a physical product. Has that been invented? Is that, is that out there, that zine thing? Yeah, so he's got prototypes for it already. So yeah, it is it is live. They're raising some money now to continue to get it off the ground. Um, raising about a four million dollar round here, but um, yeah, the uh, the company is is off the ground with a prototype and, and hoping to get um, it in front of uh, folks who need it soon. Hmm. Now, there's, there's, all of these stories are just fascinating. Um, you can uh, check it out. Uh, we're talking, by the way, with Jim Dalkey, the national editor at American Inno. You can check it out at chicagoinno.com. Is that the best way to find these stories, Jim? That's right, chicagoinno.com. And uh, American Inno covers innovation in more than 40 cities across the country. So if you're listening to this and you don't live in Chicago, there's a good chance we have an Inno and an American City Business Journal publication in your city, uh, in one of our dozens of cities across the U.S. Talk to me about Benny, B-E-N-I. What's that? And what's our connection yeah. to it? 
Yeah, this is a startup um, built by a founder who went to Northwestern uh, from Chicago. Um, the business is based in L.A. now, but uh, it was uh, Sarah Piner is the inventor of this company, um, got her MBA at Northwestern. Really what Benny has done is it's created a browser extension that intercepts your online shopping searches and directs you to the same product on a resale marketplace. Uh, so if, you could, if you're going on, uh, uh, you know, on the old Google search and you're looking for, let's say, a recliner chair, um, and you're rather than look through uh, Wayfair and Target, it'll actually send you to some secondary resale shops. Um, so you can think like Poshmark, for example, or um, eBay or Facebook Marketplace. And really is an opportunity to, um, one, save some money for the shopper, right? So rather than paying full price for the brand new item, if you find something that's generally used for less money. And two, there's a big sustainability play here, too. So they really think that they can direct more folks um, to, to, to use items and create a more sustainable shopping experience. And uh, they raised $4 million in a bunch of Chicago investors are actually behind this round too, including Buoyant Ventures, Starting Line, and Chingona. So those are some uh, frequent Chicago investors who are backing this uh, startup as well. So really interesting product at Benny. Is there a lane for them? I wonder how theirs is different than those other platforms that do a lot of this already. Yeah. I mean, the big thing here is that it's it's sort of an effortless shopping experience. So, um, And they've got, you know, what they say, 30 different resale partners that you know interact with their browser extension so they kind of plug into all the different players here so you imagine there's a, a bit of an affiliate marketing play here so they're not exactly competing with these guys right they're helping them get revenue so when someone you know when um you know ebay makes a sale for example um you know benny's able to get an affiliate commission when somebody purchases a product that they found on ebay through benny and so um, really it's kind of a, an avenue or a mechanism to to direct even more folks to the resale shops and and help folks folks shop for less. Hmm. Uh, one last thing then, real quick, um, all of this money coming and going, uh, what was the climate like in Chicago in 2022, and how are we doing in the new year? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the the, the, the funding landscape was, was pretty tricky last year. Um, you know, VC firms invested just under uh, $1.1 billion in Chicago startups in Q4 of 2022. Uh, that's down from the Q4 in 2021. Pretty much 2021 was proving to be quite an outlier year in venture really across the country, um, and Chicago being no exception. So really kind of seeing numbers sort of fall precipitously from what we looked at in 2021 compared to what we saw in 2022. The question here now is where does that go from here? Does it continue to fall or does it level off? And continue to rise. And so, um, you know, uh, our, our reporting team spoke to lots of investors in Chicago. Many people are very bullish uh, on, on the city, still remain very confident that Chicago can continue to land home runs in the tech space. And one evidence of that is, is venture capital. Lots of funds are reloading with more money. There's a lot of dry powder, as it's called in the startup space, on hand here. So money is ready to be invested. The startups just have to be in place to put their products to use. Jim Dalkey, national editor at American Inno, and ChicagoInno.com is a good place to find some of that stuff. Jim, good to talk to you as always. Thanks, John. Let's get you more business news. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch, and here's Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. A startup company that's developing new technology for sorting and storing chemicals is moving to a new and larger warehouse space in Chicago's Humboldt Park. 
Numat Technologies will move from the Illinois Science and Technology Park in Skokie to 1334 North Costner. It's moving to a cluster of warehouses called The Terminal, a local development catering to industrial companies. Numat was founded by a Northwestern University grad student and chemistry professor. Cranes reports Numat will build out office, research, and manufacturing operations at The Terminal. Abbott Laboratories confirms it's under investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice over issues with its baby formula. News of the probe comes a year after the suburban-based company shut down a Michigan formula plant after babies got sick. The Wall Street Journal reports the investigation will focus on the company's plant in Sturgis, Michigan. The shutdown of that plant also led to a nationwide baby formula shortage. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. We've got the business of food for you. Here's Steve Alexander. Yep, and here we go. I've got a hot one for you today, sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Have you ever had hot sauce that makes you sweat? Are you okay? Because you're sweating pretty profusely. Yeah, no, I'm fine. I always react this way to spicy food. Well, big respect if you're one of those who can handle the hot stuff. And from the farm to your belly, yesterday was National Hot Sauce Day. And for one brand, Small Axe, the farms are right here in Chicago. We're about a three-acre farm in East Garfield. Steve Schultz is the farm manager for Chicago Farm Works, one of the urban farms that grows for Small Axe. His farm is part of the Heartland Alliance, which is a human rights organization that works on things like housing, immigration, and food justice. And about that farm? And finding three acres of land in the Chicago city limits is a little tough, isn't it? It is, and we feel very fortunate to get that. Yeah, thanks in large part to NeighborSpace, a land trust in Chicago. That's a very deep and important partnership to make sure that FarmWorks continues. Chicago FarmWorks has a wonderful mission, which we'll get to in a minute. But let's talk about the connection to a hot sauce company. Small X, as you may know, they source peppers from the city of the hot sauce flavor that they're making. And the ingredients in every bottle of Chicago hot sauce made by Small X come from urban farms in our town. And Chicago FarmWorks provides about 1,200 pounds of jalapeno peppers. But most of what the farm grows, many other vegetables, goes to food pantries on the northwest and south sides, and just as important as what is grown is who grows it. The farm is part of a workforce development program. Where we work with individuals that have barriers to employment that can include homelessness or previously incarcerated re-entering into the community. So, if your belly can handle it, grab a bottle or three of the Chicago hot sauce made by Small Axe Peppers, and you'll be helping Chicago Farm Works pay the bills and do good. Over the past three years, it's been thousands of dollars that we've been able to bring onto the farm. Good for them. More info on the farm at heartlandalliance.org. From the farm to your belly, today is National Pie Day. I will not turn down a piece of cherry or apple or key lime or, oh, I'm out of time. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Jennifer Prell is the president of elderworks.org is the website. Hi, Jennifer. It's John Williams. How are you today? Hi there, John. I'm great. Can't complain. You're a Palatine-based company that does what? We are a social service supporting seniors throughout Illinois. We help with senior living coordination, advocacy, and education, and it's all person-centered and uh, free to them. So anyone can call to get help. I know that as much as we talk about people trying to eat better, drink better, and exercise more in January, um, I don't know that we think about seniors participating on that, but you do, don't you? Oh, yes. ElderWorks is all about our older adults and seniors getting healthy and staying well. Uh, you know, everybody plans on retirement and staying independent, and the only way to do that is to take care of yourself. 
So what do you have in mind then? What do you do for them in January or any other time of the year? Well, we started a program called Stepping Out for Fitness. It's for any person who wants to get healthier. It's a monthly challenge. And at the end of the month, you submit your form and you can win a gift card. You can go into a drawing for a gift card. And you can also, at the end of the year, go into a drawing for an iPad, excuse me, Apple iWatch or a TV. So it's fun. You can do your physical therapy. You can go walking. You can lift cans of corn. You can do any kind of exercise. You encourage people to download, actually. Do they print it out then, or are they doing this online? Download a, a log into which they'll put their exercise success, right? Correct. It's a log that you can pick up at Elder Works in Palatine or download. You just fill it out, and you can mail it in. You can fax it in. You can email it in. Whatever you're capable of doing. <laughs> So then I do that, but uh, <laughs> I presume you're not real concerned about how honestly I do it. It's not a contest that way, right? No, no, we trust people. I think that if they're doing exercise of anything, it doesn't matter to us. We just want people up and getting healthier. That's our goal. So every log that comes back to you is then essentially a raffle ticket, and then you draw from the ones that come in for these prizes, right? Yes, sir. We put it into a uh, anonymous raffle. It goes it swirls around, and the computer auto generates the winner. We don't pick manually. That way, it's honest for us, and whoever wins wins. And again, it's not. Well, you walked five miles. I only walked one mile, so you no. get a better chance. It's are you exercising? And then what, you you mentioned some of them, but talk to me a little bit about the recommendations for people who are older or especially older. What advice do you have for them? My advice is to first talk to your doctor so you know your abilities, and then work slowly. So if you haven't exercised in years, just practice a little bit of walking, 10 minutes a day, get up to 20, and so on and so forth. We also have videos available that you can follow along with chair yoga, um, stretching, walking, Pilates. We have all sorts of videos that you can follow at home as well. It's this very neat program. I suppose... Well, tell me what you think about this. One mistake that any of us might make is waiting until we're very old to do this. Better that we, while we're able, get into the routine, build up our core, stay limber. Don't wait until yes. you got a house fire. Let's do something to insulate, right? <laughs> exactly. You want a strong core so that you have better balance. At the age of 65, our balance tends to wane a little, and we do tend to lose our balance. So if you build your core and your strength, you will be able to function at more independently as an older adult and senior. Is flexibility kind of, um, it seems to me like that's more on people's minds now than it used to be. We either took it for granted or didn't think about it. We thought about aerobic exercise, but it sure seems like a buzzword is flexibility these days. And that's because if you're flexible, you can protect yourself from falls. You tend to get up more and do more exercise, fun things, play with the grandbabies, walk the mall, walk outside. When you're not flexible, um, stuff happens. Then you can't recover as easily. Your joints don't repair as easily. Your circulation isn't as strong. Everything's connected. So you must take care of your entire body. You can't just take care of your mind. You have to take care of the rest of it, too. And it seems to me like that's where the yoga comes in. Maybe because yoga is so popular, that's an issue, you know, is more on the forefront. Or maybe it's the other way around. Because that's on the forefront, you, people are, are more interested in yoga these days. Absolutely. And that's why we have chair yoga. For those who have limited mobility, chair yoga is wonderful. You don't have to get up 
You can do all of your exercises from your chair. We also have Pilates for older adults. So it's not Pilates for 20-year-olds. <laughs> we would break. It's much better when you're older to work with older folks. It's just how it is. So uh, people, I guess, across the country could sign up for elderworks.org for these for this little online community, essentially, um, or is it just for folks in Illinois? No, it's anybody who wants to get up and exercise. This is an open challenge. We want everybody to exercise. The healthy you are, the healthier everybody else is around you. It kind of spreads, right? We like the um, the possibilities, if you will, of, you know, six degrees of separation. I, hey, I do this. Do you do this? And then so on and so forth. And maybe we can get the nation up and walking and exercising. That'd be kind of nice. The program is called Stepping Out to Fitness, and you can get the logs, I guess, at elderworks.org. Is that what I do, Jennifer? Correct. It's E-L-D-E-R-W-E-R-K-S.org. You can go right there and get the log, or you can call into the office and get a log. And that number is 855 462 0100. There is no cost to join, and the first 100 participants get a free T-shirt. It's very fun. We have people who sign up because they love the shirts, <laughs> and then they get out. <laughs> Elder Works has, uh, let's see, one, two, three E's, E-L-D-E-R-W-E-R-K-S dot org. Jennifer Prell. Nicely done, yes, Jennifer. Sir. Thanks for your time today. 